You're listening. You're listening. You're listening to Music Biz 101 and more. Hey! Welcome to Music Biz 101 and more, your free music business advice radio show and podcast. Find us every Wednesday at Brave New Radio 88.7 FM on the campus of William Patterson University in scenic Wayne, New Jersey, or on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher Radio as a podcast. I am your co-host, Professor David Kirk Philp. Crickets. With your other co-host, Dr. Esteban Marconi. Big laughs! We are live and we are pre-recording what you're listening to from Nashville, Tennessee at the Music Biz 2016 convention. Yes. Thanks to the Music Business Association for giving us space here at the convention Beautiful center. Space. It's gorgeous space. And by the carpet, by the mile. It's, <laughs> it's very wonderful. pretty carpet. Maybe we'll take a picture and post it somewhere at some we point. We have to post the room somewhere because the black walls are really interesting because it's not a blackboard. No, there are... It's, it's listen, something must have been there. Listen to time. me as I touch the walls. There's this wall. It's like a, It's not felt, but it's no, like no. rug on the wall. Right, and this is early um, 1980... Um, Americana. Incarceration. Uh, <laughs> That's right. It's, it is. And the person laughing hysterically at every second of our production so far is Josh Friedlander from the RIAA. Yes. Josh Friedlander is right here. Thank you, Josh, for being here. Thank you for having me. All right. New Jerseyite. He is a New Jerseyite. Yes. And we want to thank Samantha Shank for getting Josh here, forcing him to be here. <laughs> Samantha Shank forced him. A New Jerseyite. Another New Jerseyite. You are a New Jersey. No, are you from Jersey? No, you are not from New Jersey. You live in New Jersey. That's correct. It's your adopted home. Right. But you're, you, I don't know if we could call you an Long ite. Long Island by way of Syracuse. There we go. And uh, I'm in New Jersey, but nobody cares about me. Let's no, give some don't. thanks, Josh. May we give some thanks before we get going and talk just about you? Going to hold Absolutely. hands? <laughs> All right. What? Can we hold hands to give thanks? We're going to give thanks. We're going to have everybody bow. We are going to thank MIA. It's the Music and Entertainment Industry Educators Association. They gave us a grant, which helped pay for Samantha to get down here to Nashville, mm -hmm. Nashville, Tennessee, to this Music Biz Association. We need to thank the Music Biz Association for giving us this space, which we, we just did. did that. Did we already do that? Did yes, we, we say did. thank you specifically to them? I know we yes. criticized their room yes. with love. But then we also Especially want to give thanks. John Donio. That's right, uh, Jerry Donio. Uh, thanks to the folks at Van Dyne Bruno Inc. and Jim. White Hat. I just want to correct it. Yeah, yes, it's, it's Jim Donio, but he's every name with a J. Thanks to Van, folks Van Dyne, Bruno, Inc. and White Hat Management with artists like Charlie Puth, Dave Matthews, Sharon Jones, the Dap Kings, and Kiss. There's only one place to go for your band's business management. You go to vb-cpa.com when you are ready. So, Josh, if you're in a big band, and I don't mean 20 pieces, I mean you're very tall. It's <coughs> Josh Friedler and his big band. You need business management. Where are you going to go? To those, say, to those guys you just mentioned. To those guys you just mentioned. That's right, Josh. <laughs> ding, ding, right. ding. Josh wins. 
That's right. The guys of Van Brine Bruno, Van Brine, Van Brine, Van Dyne Bruno, and White Hat Management. And also, Josh, we'd like to give thanks to Christine Vay, who's a wealth manager and the president of Vay Wealth Management. Christine has helped many of our professionals at William Patterson manage their investments and plan out for their retirement. If you, Josh, are looking for some guidance on how to plan for your Josh retirement or have questions on anything from Josh's investments and Josh's portfolio management to Josh's insurance or Josh's retirement planning, give Christine a call at Josh. Please repeat after me. 732 732 455 455 1510 1510 And Josh, you may want to email her Christine at vayvaywealth.com for advisements. You may not want to. It's completely up to you. We will not force you to do that, but we will force you to answer our questions. Samantha Shank takes it over. Go, girl. <laughs> All right. Well, first, we want to thank you again for coming and meeting with us. Thanks, Josh. Thanks, Josh. <laughs> thank you very much for inviting me. <laughs> no problem. All right. So just to give a little bio, Josh Friedlander. So he's the Senior Vice President of Strategic Data Analysis at the RIAA, RIAA. Everyone say it. It's a mouthful. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, so you joined in 2005, and he's responsible for data organization. And the results of his work are often used in standard measures of the U.S. music industry and are commonly referred to in many news publications. So just for our listeners, we should start with the basics. What, in your words, is the RIAA, RIAA? Sure. The RIAA is the trade group that represents the music labels in the United States. Uh, we're very active in uh, lobbying, uh, anti-piracy, broad industry business affairs and industry negotiations. Uh, we do a lot of communications and my kind of area specialty is that we do a lot of research to try to understand you know, what's going on in the, in the music economy and what's going on with music fans. So you, this is right, you were in 2005, so are you kind of like there at the time that streaming and piracy and all that good stuff was going on? I, I came in at a very interesting time. <laughs> the, the, the last 10 years have been, uh, have seen just seismic changes in, in the industry. We went from being an industry that was almost all physical products, you know, selling some kind of piece of plastic. And now we're in an era where the vast majority of sales are digital and people are, you don't even have to really buy things, you're just getting access to things. So the, mm -hmm. the changes has been incredible in the time I've been there. So were you in the music industry before that or was it something you were just thrown into the music industry at probably one of its most chaotic times? I think I was in the music industry, <laughs> but I really wasn't. Um, I was actually working on Wall Street before that. But uh, in my spare time, I was playing guitar and uh, hanging out with friends in bands and helping them, you know, sell CDs when they were playing at, uh, at CBGBs and places like that in New York. So I thought of myself as uh, being in the music anyway. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how, how did that transition? How did you get the job at? By the way, it's the Recording Industry Association of America. We keep That's saying right. RIAA. We haven't even actually said what the acronym, right. acronym yeah. is right. yet. So. We're not so famous that everybody knows that. You, you actually, Josh Friedlander is famous. It's the company right. I work for that nobody knows. Right. So yes, but how, how did that transition take place? Did you just see on Craigslist, hey, we need a VP of something? That, that, <laughs> that's a great question, and it was nowhere near that simple. Um, so. When I was, uh, I was working on Wall Street and I decided to go back to school to, I went to business school because I wanted to just get, you know, really better at everything and I was always interested in uh, economics and numbers and that always worked for me. And then while I was in school, I really had that opportunity to, to just step back for a second and think about what I really wanted to do. And I kind of always said, I, I want to work in music. I love music. 
want to try to put these things together. And I have to give uh, a credit to somebody who did a, I did a phenomenal internship with. His name is Barry Mazarski, and he's a consultant in New York. And I, I worked for him for a summer, and he introduced me to all different uh, people throughout the industry in mm -hmm. different areas. And my working at the RIAA came directly as a result from that internship. So his introductions, getting to know him, getting to know more about the business, led directly to where I am now. What kind of consultant? I see, I'm looking at your LinkedIn profile, Barry Mazarski Consulting, what kind yeah. of consulting? Did so you it, do? it's economic consulting for the music industry. He does a lot for both the publishers and the labels. Um, it's, a, it's a small shop, it's uh, him and a partner and just a few other people, but um, they, they really know their stuff and Barry has an incredible network and knows everybody. Wow, so this is interesting. So in terms of structure of the music industry, so if I'm a publisher and I'm looking for some answers to, in this case, an economic concern, they go to people like that. People like Barry, exactly. Huh. Marconi's upset with me because I've taken over the interview. <laughs> Samantha Shank, That's you were going okay. to ask that question about Barry Mazarski. Of course, of That's course. right, I thought so. That is very interesting. I've never even like, thought of something that broad. Like I guess we think of all these focused things as students like tour managing and even business. I never thought, like even Van Dyne, that's a very, very specific thing, which is very interesting. I didn't know it existed, basically. Um, so let's go back to strategic data, 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 data. So can you bring us through like a day or even like a week, like what exactly does your job look like when you get into the office, if you go to an office? And then like the things you're doing, maybe like give us an example of like a specific project that you've been working sure. on. Sure. Um so it, it's very hard to describe a typical day, but if you have a second for something funny, I'll tell you the difference between a typical day in the music industry and a typical day on Wall Street. Yeah. <laughs> on Wall Street, I would get into the office by usually about 7 a.m., maybe 7.30 at the absolute latest for the morning call. So my first day of work at the RIAA, mm -hmm. I know it's a little bit later, it's the music industry. I show up at 8.15. The front door isn't even unlocked. Right, right. There's no one there. There isn't even a receptionist there. Right. So, other than uh, getting in, now I usually get in between 9 and 9.15. After that is when there's no more typical day. Um, one of the things that's really great about working at the RIAA is that we're involved in lots of different things. So, uh, there, depending on what's going on at the moment, you know, a typical day could be, it could be processing data, but it could also be going out and um, you know, design, it could be designing a survey, it could be talking to other stakeholders in the industry, it could be talking to uh, our many contacts at our, at our member companies. Um, it, it's very, very broad. So unfortunately, it's really hard to say what a typical day is, mm -hmm. but the things that we generally work on uh, are we do data collections internally where we're looking at industry uh, data that's given directly to us, but then we also do a lot of uh, kind of outward-looking market research where we design surveys to talk to fans and understand how people are listening to music, how they're discovering new music, how their listening has changed over time, whether they're using streaming services, and that's been really kind of the most interesting piece and the part that changes the most. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So do you work, or have you worked a lot with like the different, I know like Pandora has like Pandora Amp, I think it's now, and they have all these like back-end like systems. Do you have access to those and looking at those for specific artists, or do you, you have your own access into something like that? Generally, we've not looked at those, but I think that those point to something that's really changed a lot in the industry, at least in research in the last 10 years. When I started out, most of our work was done with surveys. We would actually have 
we'd hire companies that would actually call people and say, mm -hmm. and go through a list of questions and say, <laughs> what do you think of this? Have you heard of that? And they, it'd go through item by item. And over time, obviously a lot, this, a lot of this moved on to the internet and online, but at the same time, it was still just repeating what you were doing over the phone just with a, an email survey. Mm -hmm. But now, I'd, I'd say the transition has been to more panel data collection, where you're not necessarily asking somebody a question, but now there's access to all these massive amounts of data, and there are companies like Comscore and Nielsen, and they have these giant panels where you can see uh, very, very broad sets of behavior in massive numbers. And keep in mind, this is not looking at individual users. We're not saying, you know, what did Steve do? We're mm -hmm. just looking at kind of massive trends. I don't know the people's names, but I know what you know, this percentage of people want to find music this way. And I think that's been one of the biggest changes in market research over the last 10 years, that there's, there's just so much more of this raw data. Now, the problem is that that doesn't always answer the question of why they're doing it. Surveys were really good for saying, hey, why did you try that? Or yeah. why did you buy that CD at the time? Where this is saying, okay, I know they went to that website, but I don't know why they did that. So we now have a balance where we're looking at this kind of uh, massive, behavioral data, and then we're comparing it with survey data. Now, is there a reason why RIAA is not releasing as much data as they used to, especially for educators? In other words, 10 years ago, you could get, 10 years ago, you could get a, um, a printout that had the gender and the percentage of the dollar that every genre was, uh, you know, spent on every genre and so on and so forth. And we could really teach this by following trends. And then lately now it's been more of, um, uh, I would say, um, summations rather than the actual, you know, um, things that we could use to teach. I know I'm not supposed to argue with the question, but I think we're putting <laughs> out more data than we ever have before. Uh, this is actually something know. that I've worked on a lot. I don't know if it's usable. Do you want to talk about graphic? That's really the way people right. are so, accessing so, it. Right. So there's yeah. all so there's no, all I kinds of things every, that we're doing. I get now. It every six months. I mean, I'm not you know not that I'm delinquent on it, but there were certain things that um, I, I guess I, they were teaching stuff easier to use to teach and, and so on. I think you're talking about the consumer profile, which yes, is something that we used to do. Profile was one thing and right. so unfortunately, one of the things that's happened is, as you know, for the last ten years, the music industry has gotten a lot smaller in terms mm -hmm. of total revenues, mm -hmm. and unfortunately, the resources we've had for research have uh, also had to 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 shrink a bit. Mm -hmm. So along the way, unfortunately, we had to reduce some of the research work we were doing. Right. But I'm very happy to say. Three years ago, we brought the consumer profile back, and it is yes. now back up on the website. Right. So that was one that we thought there was a lot of great value there, and yes. we, we found new ways to do it. So I, I think we're doing a lot, we're, we're getting a lot more research well, done with less yeah, resources. And of course, the consumer is, is the way they consume, of course, we know is totally different now. So it wasn't yep. simply as a dollar spent, it's more now with streaming and so on and so forth. To, um, yeah, all right, I'm glad you answered that. And we were I think sort Josh of did a wonderful job of halfway. <laughs> this is this is making yeah. it on, right? Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll edit it. We met it. Yes, we met halfway. Okay. Um, if I understood your talk correctly yesterday, you were mentioning a platform called Graphic, and if I, am I right in saying that yeah. it lets anybody just go on for free and type in criteria that they want to find out about, and you'll get. You know, updated data on that? I think it might be a little simpler than that. So we have all of this data that we've been collecting year after year, and this is when we're talking about the industry revenues. Mm -hmm. um, 
this is an area where I think we're really adding a lot of value because no one else really has good estimates for uh, the actual money that's involved in the industry. And there are companies out there who are presenting at this conference who have terrific data about what CDs sold and what tracks are being downloaded right. and what people are streaming. But on the macro level, we're the only ones with that, with that dollar view. And we were sitting on uh, quite a lot of data. We've got really good data on this back to 1973. So we have for each format, we have the revenue and the volume. So we partnered with this company, Graphic, G-R-A-P-H-I-Q, uh, and they have some really cool tools that, they, that we work with them to put together, and we updated our website, so now you have an interactive ability to go select specific formats, mm -hmm. specific years, and they can actually build your own charts. We had something like that on a much simpler level, but this takes it just to, you know, to, to a different standard, and it has the ability to export it and share it in ways that are much more conducive to how people are sharing information now than, than what they used to. It also just looks a lot better if you <laughs> want to take these charts. And we love for people to take these charts and use them in their presentations. We want this data to inform uh, you know, people's understanding of the industry. We want it to inform the press and industry mm -hmm. analysts. Mm -hmm. So we're, we're happy to have that out there. And we're, we're really proud that we, we got that up on the website. Yeah, mm -hmm. no, I'm excited to get a, a, to go and check it out because like, I think as a student, I think it'd be a really great resource for us to pull, you know, hard statistics for presentations and papers and things like that. Um, and if you go to RIAA.com, there's a facts and research tab yep. at the top. And that's mm -hmm. where, like, there's a thing right at the top, you have 2015 U.S. Music Consumer Profile slash Music Watch Inc. That's something that you and your department is responsible for. Yes, that's for, something for we work on with, with uh, a company called Music Watch, which is uh, mm -hmm. Russ Kropnick, who's also mm -hmm. here, who, here at the conference. And yep. that's the data we actually use to put together this consumer profile where we say, uh, here are the most popular genres, and here are the demographics of people who are either purchasing or streaming. Mm -hmm. uh, we also have people who, are, <laughs> who use piracy. Uh, so we have all kinds of interesting stats there that um, we, we get requests for this all the time. Mm -hmm. Right, so talking about um, streaming and piracy, so do could we talk a little bit about, do you see piracy decreasing now? Because I think one of the statistics I saw was that the money we're losing in MP3 sales is finally starting to, overall the revenues are going up and it's making up through uh, subscriptions and through streaming. So do we see that this is growing and piracy is on the decline, would you say? Well, there's, there's a lot going on there. So I would say that over the last 10 years, what we've seen, it, it's very hard to say whether there's been an increase or decrease. What's really happened is that it's evolved and changed quite a bit. Where online piracy used to be primarily peer-to-peer, now there are a lot more different ways of getting that. Not just more sites, but there are a lot of different ways that people can access music illegally. So there's digital locker sites, there are streaming sites that just basically just don't pay royalties and they're, they're just unauthorized sites. And, then, and now there's an explosion in mobile apps that, uh, that allow people to get music from, you know, often websites that are not even in the United States where they can just get music for free. So what we've really seen is a change. I don't know if we have as much of the specific hardcore peer-to-peer, -peer, although that does still exist. Um, but a lot of people are using these, and sometimes, unfortunately, they might not even know they're illegal because these pop up, they, you know, they come and go very, very quickly. So it's an ongoing challenge. As far as what's going on with the industry, we've seen some stabilization, but at the same time, we're still at a level that's below half of where we used to be. So I still think it's having a real impact. So one of the, recently, the RIAA decided to include streams in the certification of albums. So 
I know a lot of people, some people think this is a good thing, some people think it's a bad thing, and a lot of people are looking at the fact that, you know, people could be super successful and certified, but they're also making a very small amount of money. So do you have any comments or thoughts on kind of that or that process? Sure. I, you know, I can't go too deeply into that because uh, we actually have somebody at the RIA, Liz Kennedy, who runs the program, and she does a phenomenal job with it. But uh, we looked at the we looked at the program a few years ago, and, and you know, the program has to keep up with how people are consuming music. And as the way that people are finding their favorite music and, you know, how we determine success is no longer just based on, well, how many albums did you sell or how many tracks did you sell? It's, it's how many people heard it, how many people streamed it. We, we felt the program really has to keep up with the way that uh, consumption has changed from the consumer side. So what we did was we really looked, uh, we looked at the data from the consumer end rather than from the sales end and said, well, what are people doing? And then updated the program to reflect that. And we found that people are really streaming lots and lots of data, There's lots and lots of music. There's just been an explosion in the amount of consumption. And I think it would be a huge mistake to ignore it. Mm -hmm. Recording Industry Association of America, can you, can you explain the, from what you understand, the genesis or the purpose overall of the RIAA? You mentioned there's the certifications there's the data collection. Well, the members, who are the members of the RIAA who are paid sure. in money that, that make this uh, trade organization exist? Sure, so apologies if I said it earlier, but the, the RIAA represents basically the music labels in the United States. So All just major labels or indie labels? So, well? so, so this includes uh, the major labels as well as a, a very large number of smaller labels that are either distributed through the majors or have become uh, members independently, which, which anybody can do. So um, we have on our website actually a full list of all the labels. I think it's in the thousands. Mm -hmm. That's right, and you did say that earlier. I was wrong to ask it, but, but I, guess, I guess what I'm thinking is, um, and I'm not trying to put you on the spot or anything, I'm just thinking about overall, like if I'm teaching a student about the RI, all right, here's trade group RIAA, yep. so they, they certify albums to be platinum, and you just talked about how that works. They uh, collect data, and this data is used by the labels in what for what purpose? If I'm Universal Music sure. Group, I'm at Interscope, you just put this thing yeah. together. Are you then sending it down to somebody in particular at Interscope, or are the labels asking you to do some of this for them? Well, we provide the information to the labels, and then uh, they, they do a lot of things internally with it. So at some levels, mm -hmm. they use some of the data we collect on the industry revenues to maybe compare how they're doing versus the overall industry or to, to look at the overall trends. You know, they obviously see their own data, but mm -hmm. it's really good to get the perspective of seeing what's going on for the whole industry. Then we also have that consumer research data, and that's the kind of thing that might be used more for uh, marketing or for kind of specific use for a specific artist. So they will get in touch with you. For example, uh, I know Steve Marconi was saying about a, a certain format. So if I'm Atlantic Records, then I have a certain format of how I, use, uh, how I look at data on my end about trends that we have. Would I contact you, for example, and say, hey, here's kind of how we do it. Can you, from an industry perspective, look at it in this way as well? I mean, do you get requ requests yeah. like, a, like a DJ? Th that's a good question. I, I think actually it tends to go the other way. Mm -hmm. So we do, we, we collect this data, we might do surveys, and we, we try to get this understanding. And then uh, because we're a trade association, we have lots of committees. <laughs> we, have, right. we have a research committee, we have government relations committees, uh, we have finance committees, and we all have contacts that we work with at the... Uh, at the labels. So what I'll generally do is I'll feed the data as best I can to those contacts at the labels for them to then use internally however they want. 
Interesting. Okay. And then I guess you're based in D.C.? Yes. So you don't personally do this, but the organization also is a lobbying uh, uh, organization as well, meaning the, in, the industry has certain desires and wants that, based upon laws that need to be passed with Congress. For example, the, uh, the radio stations don't pay recorded music uh, ownership, sound recording copyright owners for the music that is played over the air. So the RIAA, for example, would lobby on behalf of the record recorded music industry to members of Congress, for example, to try and pass a, a certain law. That's another thing you guys hit. That's right, and we do that um, for for lots of areas where copyright law comes mm -hmm. into play. Uh, because music is such a copyright-based industry, and that's all determined by federal law, there, there are a lot of touch points between government regulations and, and things that happen in the industry. So uh, we try to be advocates for, mm -hmm. for the industry. Right, and do consumers as well, in the old in the Napster era, obviously you guys were um, trying to be advocates. Don't you know? Don't steal music, you know. And you dealt with that in different ways. Um, today, do you do any campaigns to music? I'm sorry, to consumers overall about your, the music is awesome. Pay for music or stream or, or subscribe to Spotify. That kind of thing. Not Spotify particular, but do you do consumer campaigns to get them to continue to interact with music? We we do some of that. Mm -hmm. um, it's a, it, it's a really good question because our, our interaction with, with fans comes in lots of different ways. You know, obviously there's the Golden Platinum, which we discussed earlier. Mm -hmm. You know, that's not really along those lines, but that's a really big touch point because, uh, you know, based on what we see on social media, fans really do love following along the, uh, with, with, the, with the Golden Platinum program. I, I would say more that we partner with a lot of people to do this kind of reach rather than doing it directly. Um, you know, for example, we have actually done a lot of outreach with universities to talk about, you know, what things can be done on campus because, unfortunately, students are uh, some of the worst offenders when it comes to uh, getting getting music illegally, but also they're some of the best consumers in that they're, they are our biggest fans. So it's a Spotify. really... <laughs> what? I pay for Spotify. Myself. <laughs> yeah, so but, but you could see how it, it gets. It, it, you know, there's kind of a complex relationship there. So we do we do a lot of outreach like that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we work with associations like Music Biz, um, and then we have a, a variety of other programs where we work, you know we have a, a program where we work with ISPs. So there there are a lot of different touch points, um, but we we don't have as much I would say direct uh, you know consumer contact. ISP meaning Internet Service Provider. Yes. Right. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I was curious, going back to um, the certification and streaming, so do you weigh interactive streaming and non-interactive streaming as just it's the same thing, it counts as a well, stream? No, uh, actually what we have is that we only count interactive streams. Uh, for for the Golden Platinum program, so that means whether it's it, it could be a YouTube, it could be Vivo, uh, pretty much any you know legitimate service uh, that lets you select the specific song, Spotify, Tidal, Apple Music. But it what was important for us to keep in, was that we wanted to be that somebody chose to listen to that song. You know, not that they were just happened to be listening and then somebody played it. It's that somebody had to actively say, I want to hear this. Mm -hmm. And to us, that's an indication that, you know, that artist is making that connection with the fan. And for streaming, it's 1,500 streams of one song equals the sale of an album? That's right. Okay. Uh, we, we arrived at that number uh, after doing quite a lot of research, and that actually is a part that I was involved in. Uh, so we, what we did was we stepped back and we gathered a lot of consumer data. This is not based on finances. This is based on what do we see people doing. So we collected data on album sales, track sales, 
uh, for album sales, both physical and digital, and then tons of data on streaming. And we we picked a universe of lots of lots of top songs to to get a, a, a cross section. And we and we just said, well, what are people doing? You know, how how often are people streaming relative to tracks, relative to purchasing tracks, mm -hmm. relative to albums? And we came up with uh, these these ratios to to basically find you know the right balance between recognizing all this new consumption, but at the same time, making sure we maintain the value and the brand of Golden Platinum so it's still meaningful. We didn't want to just say, well, there's a million streams, so you know, that's, that's like gold streaming. You know, we wanted this to be uh, really a meaningful, uh, a meaningful show of, of, that an artist has achieved a level of success. Um, so even with the streaming, the streaming awards included, um, the, the levels of certification are still not as high as they were a decade ago. Okay. So it's still really hard to get these awards. Well, it's, it's great that you brought up the fact that the 1,500 streams equals an album sale because you'll read something like Bob Lefsetz, you know, who, who criticizes that. Yep. But it's great for you to say, it, we didn't just come up with this, you know, that there is an actual reason for it. We, we, we put a lot into figuring out mm -hmm. what the right number was. And I do understand that people say, you know, listening to a stream is not the same as uh, buying an album. Mm -hmm. You know what? You're right. But at the same time, we're, we're trying to recognize when people are doing great things in the industry. And we can't just say, well, we're only going to count sales. We can't just stay stuck in the past. Right. We have to look at what's happening now. And we thought this was the way that made the most sense to recognize what's happening now. Right. And that would be 1,500 streams. It could be a collection of, like you said, Tidal, Apple Music, it could Spotify, be across YouTube. Okay, but all those streams together, 1,500 of them. And then uh, 10 digital sales, if I had yeah. an let's say I put out an album on iTunes, and three of the songs were downloaded 10 times in aggregate, that equals the sale of one album, right? Ten, I, ten I, I apologize. I, I said that, that for poorly. A second this, uh, just any 10 downloads ten, by an artist. Yes. Does it have to be equals a sale of an album? Does it have to be from that album? For example, I have 12 songs on this album. And just any time any 10 songs from that album are downloaded. Doesn't have to yes, be. Yes, that's right. You know, just that's any right. 10. Equivalent. Just right. The equivalent of 10 songs that's from that album. That's that becomes, right. equals the overall sale. That's right. You know, uh, unfortunately, a lot of math got involved in the system. It used to be uh -huh. very simple. It used to be 500,000 is gold and a right. million is platinum. Right. But, you know, the, I, th I think this just shows how the market has gotten so complicated. Mm -hmm. There's mm -hmm. so many different ways of listening, so many different ways of buying. So we, you know, we had to find these ways to adapt. And it does mean that you need these different equivalencies so we mm -hmm. could put this together. But I think the important thing is that we're we're recognizing the achievement of an artist or the achievement in of, of this of a particular piece of music you know across the ways that people are really consuming now right so it's it's almost uh, when you talk about economics it's the 10 equals one album but when you're talking about the downloads, stream right. uh, downloads but when you're talking about 1500 streams it certainly doesn't equal the 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 amount of money that was spent for an album uh, because streaming is especially if it's ad supported, right. and they could be anything. it could be across different services, and some of the streams could be from ad supported services, but yeah, other streams could be from subscription right. services. Right. So they all have different rates. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then there's total consumption unit, or is it album consumption unit? You know, what I think thinking? total consumption is Nielsen's new program that's for the Billboard 200. Okay. So I'm familiar with it, but I don't I don't really know enough okay. to talk about. And it. And that's something about yes, that's streams, albums, and. 
1500 streams, the 10 equivalent from digital yeah. and physical. That was in physical. Product. You know, I, I can say that that is an effort to, uh, to do. That's doing the same thing we're trying to do is recognizing yeah. that there are all these different ways people are consuming. Right. Interesting. OK. So, so that you were talking about Nielsen. Yeah, he brought up Nielsen. That's, okay. a, that's, Nielsen that's a Nielsen thing. That's not an yes. RI. That's interesting because that's not an RI. No, that's right. That's no, Nielsen. Because that, Nielsen uh, Billboard will write about that, and they that's will right. get into albums. Why, why are the figures just a little bit off? Like at the end of the year, Nielsen says it was down 4%, and then RIA says it's down 3.2. Or it was, you know, <laughs> How long do we have for this? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm really, because it's something we've it's, always, it's know, a It's a great about. question, and it comes up every year. There are a couple of reasons why they're going to be different. First, uh, Nielsen is usually tracking the volume change, and mm -hmm. we're and, and the numbers that we put out are generally based on the revenues that we see. Ah. So that that's one big cause of difference. Mm -hmm. A second is, um, yeah, we're able to collect across a whole range of uh, different ways that people can listen or pay or, or get ads. And so, for example, you know, we have uh, subscription revenues. Mm -hmm. Nielsen's not collecting that, at least not, not at least not to my knowledge. I don't want to speak for them. Right. But generally, in those numbers, they'll have the number of streams, but they don't. They're not looking at well, how many people are subscribing, no, how no, much right. are they paying per no. month. Yeah. So we have that data in there as well. Right. So these things, those factors, as well as a couple of uh, smaller accounting factors, generally cause the difference. But overall, directionally, they still tend to be pretty much in the same area. Yeah. Our, our data oh, yeah. tends to be pretty similar right. over time. Now, uh, do you just send uh, data to IPFI or do they do their own um, you know tally on what the business is in in the US the answer is yes and yes okay. uh, we we do work with IPFI very closely to uh, coordinate our data collection mm -hmm. we send them data and they collect their own data and then we do a whole reconciliation to make sure that we're all looking at the same thing mm -hmm. there are still some international accounting standard differences that can that do that do cause some small differences mm -hmm. uh, plus for the international market sometimes they group things in different ways than we do mm -hmm. just because the way the US does something isn't necessarily the way the rest of the world is doing right. it um, in a lot of areas uh, you know certainly in digital adoption and the subscriptions uh, the US is generally ahead of the rest of the world in this in, in mm -hmm. terms of the rate of adoption mm -hmm. so some of the things that we're collecting you know in a very granular basis they might still have in a in a broader bucket. So there'll, there'll be some smaller differences, mm -hmm. but we're definitely looking at the same data. Mm -hmm. IFPI, International Federation of Photo Phonographic Industries. Industry. Okay. Is there an of in there or just International Federation Phonographic no, Industry? No, you could be an of at the end. Of. You should have, like, <laughs> they have six ambersands in there as well. Samantha Shank, do you have more questions? I have uh, one more question sure. because um, our audience members are primarily going to be students, not record labels, and you represent the labels. Um, how would you recommend that us students as in music industry participants, whether we want to be managers or artists, how do we utilize the resources of the RIAA to advance you know, our knowledge and our careers? That's a great question. Um, <laughs> you know, we, we, we hear from students really often. Um, we get a lot of outreach, I think, both as fans and as people who are interested in the industry. You know, we're, we're in a very sexy industry. You know, this is, <laughs> this is fun stuff. I understand why people want to get into this. That's why I wanted to get into it. 
you know, we, we try to provide a lot of information online because we're not a very big organization. So, you know, we only have certain amounts of resources. We do have internships, so um, over, over the summer and uh, sometimes during the year, we actually do have interns and, you know, people can, can get to know more about what we do. Um, we also have, you know, I would just say we have, I think we're a good resource in that we have, we have a lot of knowledgeable people and these are people who really love the industry and if people come in with a positive attitude and have a good question, in, in my experience, both, uh, you know, the questions I've gotten and the people I work with, we're happy to talk. You know, I, I, it's hard to say more generally, you know, how to use the, the resources, but we're always happy to talk. You can, you know, you can send us an email, you can check out our website, we have lots of contact information. For the information, that's all up there. We try to make that available. But if you have, you know, a, a question that goes to the next level, I'd say just reach out. You know, it's. I'm sorry if that's a boring answer, but that's, yeah. you know, that I think that's kind of the best way to 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 get in touch with us and to, um, you know, use hopefully use the knowledge we have and and, and hopefully it'll get you somewhere. Yeah, great. I'm just thinking like along of all the, the resources online in terms of like data you have. I think I would recommend any person, any colleague of mine, just like. You know, keep up on this stuff. See what the trends are. You know, you know w what I hope is that if there's a student who's really interested in the industry, that they can go on our website and see all these issues. And then when they go in for that interview for a mm -hmm. for an internship mm -hmm. or that interview mm -hmm. for the first job, so that this can help you come in and know what you're talking about and, right. and make it feel like, hey, this is somebody who's really studied the industry. This is somebody who knows what's going on. Right. I mean, it's just like we can't let if they're a student of the industry. And they put on an exam, and you say, "Well, how big is this in dollars? How big is the U U.S. market for 2015?" And they say, "Really big, you know, or a lot, <laughs> you know." Like, we can't accept that. Give me, give me something that you've gone to school and you can support your answer with a f with facts. So that's why I was saying, you know, this stuff for classroom and so on is really important to us mm -hmm. because we get a we you know. We see now that it's an $8 billion roughly industry where it was years ago, you know, back in the day, how large it was. And now it has sort of been this equal to the products industry now and, and so on. And you sort of get a, a scope, you know, so they get the size and scope of this, um, of what they're studying. Yeah, and unfortunately, it's a little worse than that. It was it was fourteen and a half billion, and mm. now it's down to about seven billion. Yeah. But I have to say, I'm jealous because I was never in a class where that was actually a uh. question on a test. <laughs> I want to take that class because yeah. we actually because I, I with my class we were looking at the IFPI and they recently put out their 2015 results. Yes, right. And the worldwide recorded music business is fifteen yep. billion, right. billion with a B. And what's interesting is. Um, that's all recorded music. Is there an equivalent to the RIAA for live music? You know, Post. I don't. I don't know if there's an Post association. Post Post which, is, which is a Star, media. And they never give you yeah. enough anyway. Enough yeah. information. It's interesting because because you're always looking for overall the music industry in America, right. for example, and it's easy to find the recorded music, but live right. is. There, it's, you know, there hard. there is one resource I could recommend. Um, uh, PWC, formerly Price Coopers, Coopers. Cooper. uh -huh. um, puts out, I, I believe it's called the, the Global Media and Entertainment Outlook Report. It's uh -huh. a giant report that they put out uh, every year. I, I know about it because uh, they include the RIA data in there as well and they're uh -huh. talk about when they talk about the music industry. But they include uh, revenue estimates, both global and for the U.S., in 
um, for the for radio and satellite mm. and all different other aspects of media. And I they're, they're not paying me or anything. I don't mean to be plugging right. anybody, but right. that's a good resource if you want to find things yeah. beyond just the recorded side right. of the industry. I mean, the government has it too, but you got to really dig. You know, they're doing their reports, economic reports. Mm every year and they can talk about entertainment industry and they can talk about recorded music and, and so on and so forth. That's, that's pretty thick stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Trump will get it for us. He promised <laughs> in his last speech. He's right. going to build a wall. Mexico is going to pay for it. And he's going to provide all that information to us. Mexico is going to pay for that too. Music's yeah, going to be huge. Yeah, <laughs> it's going to be big. And it's going to be in English. Yeah, that's right. So we should stop. Okay. And we should say thank you to Josh Friedlander. Do you yes. want to do that? Let's do that. Thank you to Josh Friedlander. Thank you. This has been good. Has this been a comfortable interview for you? This Josh? has been great. This Except for the fun. one question. Is there an <laughs> office in uh, New York anymore? I don't know. I don't think we have a we don't yeah. have a standing New York office anymore. Uh, right. We have we have some people in Florida and in California. I, I don't know if we have anybody mm -hmm. in New York mm -hmm. right now. I'm sorry. Right. Very good. But we visit often. Yeah. They they love New York. They love it very much. Well, I knew the. I was more involved with it during the uh, Hillary, Hillary Rosen days, and we didn't even go into all of that because it On was purpose. before him. Yes, exactly. I actually actually joined very soon after Hillary left. So mm -hmm. I, uh, I was hired by Mitch Bainwall, who was the right. uh, the CEO back then. Right. And interestingly, about we're, we're talking about Hillary Lo Rosen used to be the president of the RIAA oh, back ahead of it, whatever it was. Yeah, whatever CEO whatever, during the especially the Napster era and all that, and um, especially the P2P time. But uh, so when we talked about the lobbying, so she is now a lobbyist on Capitol Hill. You'll see mm -hmm. her on MSNBC, yep. sure. or I think she sure. might be a Democratic lobbyist or something like that. Right. But you see her. Um, occasionally on TV talking about non-music yep. stuff. Yeah, but she's it, out of the music. Yeah, but it's interesting that that, that she was there. So, right. um, so let's stop again. I said we'll stop. Let's thank Samantha Shank. Thank right. the Shank. There we go. That just happened. What do you think of that? Thanks. Yeah, yeah. okay. That's right. We should thank Dr. Esteban Marconi. Let's and do it. My co-host at the same time. Yes. Who, who is I? Professor David Kirk. Oh, I thought it was at the same time. Oh, at the thank you. So thank <laughs> us both. Thank thank you. That's right. Very much. Thank you for clapping, Josh, by the way. You right. didn't have to, but you chose to, which makes you fairly awesome. So uh, as we take our leave, this has been Music Biz 101 and more. Don't forget to go to our website, musicbiz101wp.com. And as always, instead of saying goodbye, we don't say hello. We say, and you can say this with me if you catch on, adios! Yeah. Did you hear how I said adios? You want to do it with me one more time? Adi! No, I think I'm just bracing to let you do it. Okay. <laughs> oh! <laughs>